0: For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till the vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see her vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be crowned crowned with splendor in the Lord's hand royal diadem, in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted, nor your land desolate. You will be called That's it. And and your land, Beulah. For the Lord will take a delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so your... Builder, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so God will rejoice over you. I have posted a watchman on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. and give him no rest till he establish Jerusalem and makes her the praises of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, sorry, I was supposed to stop at that verse. At <laughs> any rate, he has established Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the whole earth. Hepsibar and Beulah, reminding us of the marriage. And of course, it's the marriage that we're talking about today, in the second reading, which is on page 1005. On the third day of the wedding took place in Cana in Galilee, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no wine. woman. You involve me, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews in ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the water jars. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some of it out and take it to to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted some of the water, turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, and the servants who had drawn it knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the dress." Guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he was revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. May the Lord add his blessing to these stories from his word. (laughs) Amen. Thank you, Ian.
1: Just for interest's sake, Ian said, I, I chose the uh, readings well to match up with what I was saying. It is, in fact, the other way around. These readings that we are doing now are lectionary readings, and they're there for Christendom to use in all churches, uh, if we choose to use them. And that's what we are doing at the moment in Camborne for this series. We're using the lectionary readings. We then build the service around the readings, not the other way around. Just try to interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then. David, you're going to come and talk to us. It says reflections, so I take it you're going to reflect. Should we just say a prayer for David before he comes? That's he what says. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for our opportunity to be here today, to worship you, and to hear what David has to say. We ask that you be in his words. And in all our thoughts, and open our hearts to receive that which comes from David and comes ultimately from you. In Jesus' name we ask this.
2: Amen. Amen. <coughs> <coughs> good morning. Again. <laughs> this is the day that the Lord has made. <coughs> we shall rejoice and be glad. <laughs> I didn't know if that would work, but that was very good. Well done. That comes from Psalm 118. I'd just like to read an extract from that before we get started. It's called A Song of Victory. Uh, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us Light, bind the feastal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And as I was preparing this morning, um, not this morning, but this week for this morning, um, Those words came to me. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I wonder how many of us leap out of bed on a Sunday morning with that song in our hearts. I know that I don't. I didn't even this morning, and I knew I was going to ask the question. (laughs) But... Once I decided, I, I'd kind of already planned that. And then I remembered that uh, Mary, in her leading a few weeks ago, had reminded us that when we do confession and affirmation in our worship, that's not a time, that's a time for reflection, but it's not a time for mourning. It's a time for celebration because we've been forgiven. And so I wonder if God is saying to us at this time in our church life, that we should remember that this is the day the Lord has made, and we should rejoice and be glad in it. And there are three symbols in our story today, the, the gospel reading today. The symbol of weddings, the symbol of water, and the symbol of wine. And I think all three of those point in this direction. let get my dihydrogen oxide. Weddings are a time of celebration and devotion. There are a time where you make a commitment, just as we're going to be doing, um, as we say the covenant prayer after this. And there are a time for joy, one hopes. And all the way through the Bible, our relationship with God is characterized as. Um, the people of God is the bride, and God is the groom. And it's our wedding day, and we joyfully anticipate the coming of the one we love. In the Isaiah passage, it says, As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. And as Ian said, the, the two uh, words, the Hephzibah and Beulah, point in that direction as well. The last image we have of Jesus in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible is of Jesus coming as a groom to greet his bride. And so this story of Jesus changing the water into wine at a wedding points to that uh, imagery as well locates the beginning of Jesus' ministry at a wedding. And John says that the miracle he does is the first of the signs in which he reveals his glory. So John is really trying to point us to this wedding imagery. So what we need to do is unpack that a little bit, because weddings in the times that the Bible was written weren't quite the same as weddings are now. For starters, weddings were arranged, which, you know, we would say now isn't ideal, although I understand from cultures where they still do arrange marriages, that actually often it works out all right. But they were arranged marriages, and both the bride and the groom were expecting to get different things out of that arrangement. For the bride, which is us in this metaphor, It was about moving from the old to the new. Women's status in society was based upon their relationship with the significant man in their life. And the wedding day was a point at which a young woman would go from being a girl in her father's house to being a woman in her own house with her husband. So it's about maturity. It's about kind of... I suppose, fulfilment. It's about growing into your potential. And so for a bride, that's what wedding imagery spoke to. For a groom, their status in society was based on their wealth, their estate. And by getting married, they gave themselves the opportunity to have children, and children meant... That their estate would go on after them. Certainly if you look back at Genesis, there's really no sense of an afterlife in Genesis. Abraham doesn't want to have children, or doesn't expect to live on after he dies, but he wants to have children because that will make him live after he dies, because his name will live on and his reputation and his fortune, his estate will live on after him. And so for a groom, getting married is about the solidity of your estate. It's about things going on forever. It's about eternity. And so for God is the groom in this metaphor. And so while God doesn't need us for his glory to go on, what the idea of a marriage symbolizes is that God's glory goes on forever in his relationship with the church. And that... God's riches are increased and enhanced in that relationship. So, Jesus is at this wedding. And they run out of wine. This was a problem because another thing about um, weddings at the time, Jewish weddings at the time, was that the wedding ceremony or the wedding party went on for seven days. And so running out of wine before the end of that seven days was a bit of a scandal, you know, and... But that's what happened. What you do is you buy in a whole bunch of wine and then you kind of ration it out and you would water it down a bit um, and make sure that it lasted. But unfortunately, something had gone wrong here with the kind of the rationing and they had run out. And so this is, a, this is a big problem. This is a scandal for this family. But the guests of the wedding, obviously running a seven-day party is a little bit pricey, and so guests of the wedding would be expected to contribute materially to the success of that wedding. And so Jesus' mum, uh, on hearing that they've run out of wine, comes to Jesus and says, hey, you could, you know, this could be like your wedding present. You could sort this out for them. And Jesus' response is really interesting here. He says in verse 4, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. As John says at the end, this miracle is the first of the signs with which he shows his glory. And when Jesus uses the phrase, my hour, throughout the rest of the gospel, Jesus uses my hour to mean the reason why I've come. And by extension, his death. And so it's almost like Jesus is saying here, his mum comes with this request for kind of a favour, and he's like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Mum, please, it's, it's, it's too early. I don't know if I can do that yet. There's almost a reluctance to make the first step along that road. And you can understand that reluctance is so human. But Mary, maybe she understands that, maybe she doesn't, but she says to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. And it's like Mary knows the boy she's raised. And she knows that when someone's in need, Jesus can't help himself but help. And so even though there is a personal cost to Jesus performing this miracle and helping this family out, Mary knows that that's just the kind of man her son is. And so we come to this second image of water. Nearby nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, which holds 80 to 120 litres of water. We talked about ceremonial washing last week, didn't we? We looked at baptism and all of the uh, symbolism that goes into baptism. I think Chris spoke, didn't he? And... (coughs) So, these, these are ceremonial water jars. So, they link us to baptism, which had actually, Jesus' baptism had only actually happened three days before this event. And so, I imagine that imagery was fresh in Jesus' mind. And what all the way through John's gospel, ceremonial washing is a kind of a key part of Jesus' ministry. He gets baptized and three days later, and three days should be a significant thing for you um, in Jesus' ministry. Three days later, he does this miracle by turning water into wine. And then at the other end of the gospel, John uh, at the Last Supper has Jesus washing his disciples' feet. He cleanses them. And then he says, love each other as I have loved you. Now, that happened at a Passover feast, which rockets us back into Exodus. We're doing lots of bouncing around today. That puts us back into Exodus, where the people of God walked through the water into their freedom, out of Egypt, out of slavery. And so all of this is kind of going on in this phrase of the, the ceremonial washing and, and, and this water imagery all of these images that we're looking at today could fill sermon series by themselves so I'm just having to skate over the top but that's the kind of significance that water has particularly in John's gospel and so they fill the jars to the brim and then they draw some out and they take it to the master of the banquet who incidentally this was his mistake that, who they were sorting out the master of the banquet was the one responsible for rationing the wine And they found it had been turned into wine, which is our third symbol. Now, John doesn't actually mention communion in his story of the Last Supper. He has the the washing thing. But we know that by the time John's gospel was written, uh, towards the end of the first century, we know that this was already an integral part of Christian worship. We see it in Paul's letters. Uh, We see it in uh, the other three gospels. And so very, very early on, uh, communion became part of Christian worship. And so the imagery of wine, even though John doesn't specifically draw it out elsewhere in his gospel, wouldn't have been lost on the hearers of that gospel. And wine stands for Jesus' blood, stands for his death, and also, of course, That sends us back into Passover as well, doesn't it? Before they walked out of Egypt, the Israelites, in order to escape the death of their firstborn sons, killed a lamb and put the the, the, the blood of the lamb around their door frames so that the angel of death would pass over them. And so the blood is also, it's a symbol of, Freedom, not just, not physical bodily freedom, but kind of freedom from, uh, not, freedom from death. And in, you know, in the case of the Israelites, freedom from a, a, a death in that moment, but in the case of Jesus, freedom from death forever. And in one of the letters, I think John 1, we're told that we all share as Christians in one cup because we are one body. Okay, I've hit you with lots and lots of imagery there. So let's just quickly kind of try and draw it all together. Weddings are a time of celebration and devotion. There are a time where two people, two families come together and celebrate their union, and celebrate the commitment they're making to one another. In the water, we see a a symbol, a powerful biblical symbol of our freedom, which is to be celebrated. Yes, when the Israelites get out, we hear the songs they sing are recorded. And they then walk from that freedom, which they celebrate, to the mountain where they make the covenant with God, and they receive the Ten Commandments. And for us in John's gospel, that commitment is uh, there again. We, the water symbolizes our shared community, our love for one another as Christians, and Jesus' love for us. And of course, in baptism, we also celebrate the end of our old life and our move into our new life. All of this is to be celebrated. All of this stands for commitment and devotion. And in the wine, we see the freedom from death, freedom from sin and the consequences of that sin. And that, again, is to be celebrated. And we share in the one cup at communion, which we'll be doing next week, because we are one body and we're committed to each other and the cup shows, reminds us again of God's commitment to us in the death of Jesus. I wonder if the reason this keeps coming up, this idea of celebration is because of where we are as a church. We're coming up on month 18. That's worrying, isn't it? (laughs) Coming up on month 18 of our vacancy. Who's tired? I'm tired. You know, it's been a long haul. I'm sure the council are tired. I'm sure the staff team are tired. But what we can't lose sight of is that Sundays are our days of celebration. And that God has done so much to show his commitment to us. He's done so much to call us into relationship with him and with each other. And so today, this day, is the day that the Lord has made, because it's our wedding day. And we eagerly anticipate the coming of the groom, who will take us from childhood into maturity and into the fullness of the life he has for us. This is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.